Chapter 13 of Marjorie Dean High School Junior. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recorded by Ashley Jane. Marjorie Dean High School Junior by Pauline Lester. Chapter 13 Unseen, Unknown, Unguessed. Outside the school building, Jerry Macy and Irma Linton were holding a patient vigil. Not permitted to witness the tryout, they had declared their intention of waiting across the street for their friends. Confidently expecting that their wait would be long, they had set off for sergeants directly after school, there to while away at least a part of the time. It was twenty minutes after four when they returned to the school and determinedly perched themselves upon the top step of the long flight where they proposed to remain stationed until the tryout should be over. As ardent fans, they had a lively curiosity to know as soon as possible the results of the contest. They were also deeply concerned as to what had transpired between Marjorie and Miss Merton. "'Goodness gracious!' grumbled Jerry, as she frowningly consulted her wristwatch. "'When do you suppose it will be over? It's half-past five now, I hope.' "'Hark!' Irma raised a warning hand. "'I hear voices. Here they come at last.' As she spoke, the heavy door behind her swung open. One after another, the contestants began issuing forth to unite into little groups as they passed down the steps to the street. Jerry and Irma were now on their feet, eagerly watching for their friends. Jerry's shrewd power of observation had already been put to good use. Thus far she had glimpsed defeat in the faces of those who passed. Among them were Mignon LaSalle. Her arm linked in that of Charlotte Horner, the French girl was carrying on a low-toned monologue, the very nature of which could be read in the stormy play of her lowering features. Jerry gave Irma a significant nudge as Mignon switched past them without sign of recognition. Irma nodded slightly to show that she understood its import. She, too, had guessed that Mignon had not made the team. At last! Jerry sighed relief as Marjorie stepped across the threshold, followed by Susan, Muriel and Daisy Griggs. What's the good word? she hailed. We are the real people, boasted Muriel Harding, a throbbing note of triumph in her light tones. Marjorie, Susan, Daisy and I made the team. The fifth girl is Rita Talbot. She was the only one of the blues chosen. Poor Harriet didn't make it. Neither did Esther. Harriet's been chosen as a sub, though. So has that queer little green-eyed Warner girl. She's such a quiet mouse, I never even dreamed she could play basketball. She can, though. Muriel rattled off all this, hardly stopping to take a breath. "'So dear Miss Merton changed her mind?' burst forth Jerry irrelevantly. "'How long did she keep you, Marjorie? What did she say?' They had now progressed as far as the sidewalk and had halted there to talk. 
Marjorie entered into brief details, giving Muriel the lion's share of credit for her blunt explanation to Miss Archer. If Muriel hadn't spoken so plainly, Miss Archer might not have seen things in the right light, she ended. Don't you believe it, disagreed Jerry. Miss Archer knows Miss Merton like a book. It's a real comfort to have a principal like her. Say, I'll bet Mignon is so mad she can't see straight. You should have seen her when she passed us. She was talking a blue streak to that Miss Horner. She was one of the judges, wasn't she? Yes. Marjorie's face clouded at mention of the languidly spoken senior. It now occurred to her that she had not been at fault in believing that Charlotte Horner disliked her. No doubt Mignon was the motive for her dislike. Like Ellen, she, too, tardily recalled that the two had been occasionally seen together last year. It might account also for the emphatic wagging of heads that had gone on among the three judges before the final result of the tryout had been announced. I suppose you were going to play the sophomores. Irma's soft intonation brought Marjorie out of her brown study. Of course. It was Daisy Griggs who answered. They are to have their tryout tomorrow afternoon. I don't believe we will be ready to play them before November. We have a lot of practice ahead of us. We'll have to have new suits too. But we won't know until we have a meeting what colours to choose. We ought to ask the subs what they'd like. We can't very well go by the junior colours this year. They are deep crimson and white, you know. We couldn't possibly have white suits with a crimson J and crimson suits wouldn't be pretty either. I think they would put in Muriel Harding stoutly. We could have our suits of a little darker crimson than the class colour. They would be stunning with a white J on the blouse and a wide rolling collar of white broadcloth. Besides, crimson is a victorious colour. We'd just have to win. It would be inspiring. It sounds good to me, approved Susan. They'd certainly be different from any we've ever had. We could all put together and buy the cloth, then have them made by one person instead of each going to our own dressmaker. I think that would be nice, nodded Marjorie. But we want to please Daisy too, so perhaps... Oh, I don't mind, just so they aren't a glaring red, hastily amended Daisy. I suppose the subs will want to have new suits too. We ought to call a meeting of the team sometime this week. That reminds me, we don't know yet who is to be captain. You ought to be, Marjorie. I think Ellen will ask you. No. Marjorie shook her decided head. To be given centre is honour enough for me. Girls, I'd love to have Muriel for captain. She'd be simply splendid. Oh, no, not me, protested Muriel, in ungrammatical confusion. Nevertheless, she flushed with pleasure at Marjorie's generous proposal. That would be fine, asserted Susan Atwell heartily. She was not in the least jealous because Marjorie had not proposed her for the honour. She had long since learned that Marjorie Dean was incapable of showing favouritism. 
she had selected Muriel strictly with the good of the team in mind. "'Let's ask Ellen if we can't have Muriel,' said Daisy Griggs earnestly. "'You see, three of us are of the same mind,' Marjorie pointed out with a smile. "'I know Rita will say so too. But where are she and Harriet?' "'Still in the gym, I guess, with Ellen. Harriet lives next door to Ellen,' reminded Susan. "'They'll be along presently.' I can't wait for them, Marjorie demurred. It's almost six. Captain will wonder why I'm so late. Come on, Jerry and Irma, she called. Jerry and Irma had wandered a little away from the group and were deeply engaged in earnest discussion. How many of you are going our way? I'm going to my aunt's for dinner, said Muriel. So I'll say goodbye. Daisy goes my way too. See you tomorrow. Come along, Daisy. Left to themselves, Susan, Marjorie, Irma and Jerry swung off toward home, four abreast. See here, Marjorie, began Jerry. You want to look out for Mignon. I told you how mad she looked when she passed us. Irma saw too. She'll try to do something to get you off the team and herself on. See if she doesn't. I'm not going to bother my head about her. Marjorie made careless reply. She has never really hurt anyone she's tried to hurt since I've known her. With Ellen Seymour managing the teams, we are all sure of fair play. Don't be too sure, muttered Jerry. She added in a louder tone, Ellen's not much protection with Mignon on the job. If she can't play, she'll try to fix it so somebody else can't. Not you, perhaps. Anyway, it won't do any harm for you to keep your eyes open. Don't croak, Jeremiah. Marjorie laid a playful hand on Jerry's lips. Didn't I tell you long ago that I should not allow Mignon LaSalle to trouble me this year? I am going to keep at a safe distance from her. I hope you stick to that, was Jerry's ungracious retort. Under her breath, she added, but I doubt it. Jerry Mace's well-meant warning was destined, however, to come back most forcibly to Marjorie no later than the following morning. As she ran down the steps of her home and on down the walk on her way to school, she encountered the postman at the gate. He handed her two letters which she received with a gargle of girlish delight. On the top envelope she had glimpsed Mary's familiar script. The gargle changed to a dismayed gasp as she examined the other. Only too quickly she recognised the handwriting. Shoving Mary's letter into the pocket of her pretty tan coat, she hastily opened the other envelope. Her evil genius had again come to life. A wave of hot resentment swept her as she unfolded the one sheet of heavy white paper and read, Miss Dean, no doubt you think yourself very clever to have made the junior team. You could never have done so had partiality not been shown. Others at the tryout were much more worthy of the choice. You believe because you can dress like a doll and are popular with a few rattle-brained girls that everyone likes you. But you are mistaken. 
A few persons, at least, know how vain and silly and deceitful you are. You pretend to hate snobbery, but you are a snob. Some day, everyone will know you for what you really are. The time is not far off. Beware. The Observer Turning, Marjorie went slowly back to the house and climbed the stairs to her room. Pausing before her desk, she opened it. From a pigeonhole, she extracted another letter. Carefully, she compared it with the one that had come by post. Yes, they must have both emanated from the same source. Stationery, writing and signature were unmistakable proofs. With a sigh, she shoved them both into the pigeonhole. Who could her mysterious enemy be? These letters were certainly of the variety she had heard classed as poison pen. Thus far she had flouted the idea of Mignon LaSalle as the writer of them. Now she was forced to wonder if she had been wrong. Was it possible that Mignon had lurked outside Miss Archer's office on the morning when she had solved the problem for Rowena Farnham? If this were so, the letter Miss Archer had received might then be accredited to her, as well as the two now in her desk. Barring Rowena Farnham, Marjorie knew no one else who would be likely to engage in such a despicable enterprise. If Mignon were guilty of this, Jerry Mace's warning had not been an idle one. It therefore behooved her, Marjorie Dean, to be on her guard. Yet how could she guard herself against a shadow, an enemy unseen, unknown, unguessed? End of chapter 13